Greetings from Longtime No See, the podcast. Every week, we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my God, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. From Pee-wee to Dumbo and everything in between, join us every Thursday in April for Filmography Tim Burton. Our five-part season will break down all 19 of Burton's feature-length films to date in detail. Follow Filmography on Spotify or wherever else you find your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. There is a podcast that is a world unto itself. A podcast as boundless as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the place between light and shadow, science Science and and superstition. superstition. It lies between the pit of humankind's fears and the summit of our knowledge. No, your ears don't deceive you. You're not imagining things. This is that podcast. You've entered the fifth dimension. Greetings, travelers. I'm your host, Michael Rothman, editor-in-chief of Consequence of Sound and also a constant contributor to the Losers Club and Halloweenies. We're here on the second episode, or maybe the third, depending on if you want to include our pilot episode. It kind of gets kind of tricky when you do the numbers there. But we're going to be talking about the second episode in Jordan Peele's The Twilight Zone. And we're calling it The Comedian. And by we, I mean they're calling it CBS's. Jordan Peele is. Before we go into The Comedian and start laughing and maybe even disappearing, let's introduce our fellow co-hosts, starting with... This is Matt Mellis, the editorial director of Consequence of Sound. And can I just remark, I think it's amazing that we're all wearing the same outfits that we wore during the last episode. Oh my God, we are. <laughs> it's been so long, Matt. And what I are the say, odds? I really did miss you for a second because, you know, a week is a very long time, but it's not a week because this is a two-episode premiere. So we've just been sitting in this room this whole entire time. Oh, that explains a lot. It does. Okay. To my right, please introduce yourself. I'm Samantha. It's a good life Kuykendall. And I'm here because I'm just a gal who loves pop culture. And I can't wait to talk more about it with you guys. And thanks for, you know, giving a shit. Well, we're here in the zone, but out there in the zone. This is Eleanor. I'm in spooky Florida. Would you call it spooky Florida? I'd call it weird Florida. Jeepers Creepers was filmed there too. Okay. Spooky. Little little lizards, right? They just... Uh, oh, yeah. I think it's telling that the first comedy episode of The X-Files was set in Florida. I, I think that sums it up. That is true. Uh, humbug. It's or I mean, Humbug. It's just called Humbug. And it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, Florida is a very kooky place. And I'm from there, uh, originally from Miami. And I could think of many instances in that state where I definitely said, uh, are we in the Twilight Zone? Uh, what <laughs> What about you, Eleanor? Have you? You're not actually from Florida. You're from... Um, Virginia? Yeah, but Virginia's boring, so I moved where it's exciting. <laughs> Just kidding. I love Virginia. <laughs> Would you say you've had a lot of uh, zony moments down in Florida? Definitely. I mean, uh, when I first moved down here, I live in Orlando, and when I first moved down here, I didn't realize that there was a shuttle launching one day and looked up, oh. and there it was going. And, you know, uh, the smoke trail was zigging across the sky. It was very exciting. And there have been many launches since then that I've enjoyed thoroughly. Yeah, I think the proximity to NASA and, and the whole team makes it already by a de facto place for the Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I kind of hope while looking ahead, we get some space adventures because that was a big part of the original series. And uh, insofar, we have not had those uh, because this next episode doesn't take place in uh, space. It takes place uh, down here on Earth, the place that many of us have gone to uh, a comedy club. Now we've got the serious business out of the way. Let's start laughing with the comedian. And uh, in our first segment, we call the synopsis. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, what a creative name. <laughs> Matt, read us your own penned synopsis. And uh, you can go Peel or Serling or Mellis. Or, or, or Seinfeld. 
Ooh, Se- Ooh, do Seinfeld. No, I can't do Seinfeld. You can't do Seinfeld? No. I have done a couple uh, this past year. I did my first ever comedy sets. Did actually. you really? I did two stand-up. Oh, we're so. going to be talking about that in this episode. Oh, boy. <laughs> because I, once again, I said it's the comedian. So what is the comedian about, Matt? Uh, you know, Michael, Samir Wasan, he's a struggling comedian who is given the power to turn his personal life into comic material that's guaranteed to bring him fame and fortune. Unfortunately, though, when he opens his life up, the things and people he loves start vanishing. You have to ask, just how far is Samir willing to go to keep the laughs a-coming? Well, Samir is just one of many stars and souls in this episode. You walk into this room at your own risk, because it leads to the future. Not a future that will be, but one that might be. This is not a new world. It is simply an extension of what began in the old one. Now, in this section, we like to talk about the characters and the casting. Uh, In this case, we'll start with the man of the hour, Samir. So what do we think about Samir? What is his predicament? Uh, that he's in right now he's 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 not very funny right no he sucks <laughs> <laughs> he's a bad comedian I, I i thought that this recurring joke that he keeps leaning on <laughs> over and over i mean again. <laughs> look i know you have the, even when he has his power i'm like try something different dude like he still on. keeps going for it. i know <laughs> i mean at some point you just got to be like get off the stage write something new that, that was actually one of the more confounding things in this episode this is a series that is so entrenched in the comic realm in real life just because peel has so many connections to it that you think they would write maybe one more other joke that he would try something (laughs) but he just keeps going for it i thought that maybe added some pathos to him but i also kind of made me irritated but what do you think well you do notice they don't write many jokes for this whole (laughs) there's not much comedy here. there isn't we'll get more into how that happens but uh it is actually it's so it's it's so hard to do well and uh, we've seen it on what the the marvelous mrs uh where they have to actually write, you know, comedy routines, mm-hmm. and that that's even tricky. crashing HBO. Like they, that's oh, yeah. like a lot about, you know, uh-huh. what it's like to kind of try to make a name for yourself in the mm-hmm. comedy scene. And also in um, Seinfeld, remember that mm-hmm. show? You know, I've, I think I've heard of it. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a good one. Here, here's the thing. So there's there's people who they they don't think there should be any regulations on guns, and yet they say the Second Amendment, the Second Amendment. <laughs> oh, no, don't and, do this. And, <laughs> and yet, when we read the Second Amendment, it says the first three words are a well-regulated oh, militia. <laughs> My head is That's like 11.1%. I mean, imagine if your flight only got 11.1% no, to where no, it was going. No, I don't want this joke. I don't want this joke. Say it, it didn't work for me either. Folks, that's the joke we're talking about. I want you to start talking about me because I would like to disappear from this moment. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's interesting that that joke's the one that's bombing because yeah. it is sort of <laughs> the the type of humor that's super popular right now, you know, is the political stuff and less so of the the personal and family stuff that he goes back to. But maybe that's just because it doesn't work in stand up. But he cares about something and that's really nice, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he does try. I mean, I will say I will say I love the casting here because he, to make this work you can't have someone, I mean, some people just get up there and look funny. You know, you want to start laughing with them. Yeah. I mean, it's like you almost, you want to join in with them. Kumail Nanjiami is not one of those guys. And he plays it perfectly at the beginning as this insecure, like almost too sweet for the business oh, yeah. guy, right? But then later on, we find out he can, you know, kick it up a notch. And he does that well, too. So, I mean, this this guy was able to... uh the, to pull it out as both as both the sweetheart, you know, at the beginning, the sweetie, you know, and then and the asshole later on. No, I, I, <laughs> I'm a huge fan of Camille Nanjani. I, I think that he's just he he's he's got a real multifaceted approach to his delivery and his performances. I, I thought The Big Sick was one of the best films of 2017. And I, and I and I actually in that film, you get to see some of his more you know dramatic performances. And, you know, from, you know previously in just in Silicon Valley, you don't really get to see that as much. And, you know, because it's just more just the comic timing. And I thought that it really did lead his performance here. And I, I thought that out of the two episodes that we've seen so far, I thought actually his performance is the strongest. It's, 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 it's a very nuanced performance because he definitely does care about his family. But this is, you know, a downward spiral in the classic sense in that you just mm. see him as, as more things chip away. And he does kind of go into this hell that the, the Twilight Zone definitely takes him down. But, but why does he go into hell? Because we haven't really explained that yet. So who does he meet? at the comedy club that uh, 
opens these doors. Matt, tell us. He meets, and brace yourselves, folks, none other than the J.C. Wheeler. J.C. Wheeler? <laughs> in, no, 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 In the fleshy flesh. Oh, my God. I've actually heard his sets are supposed to be amazing and out of this world, out of his own. Yeah, he was on top, but then, poof, he vanished. Oof. And he's played by another than... Tracy, Tracy Morgan. Morgan, who at one point was on top and then kind of poofy vanished. Yeah, right? you know, Tracy Morgan has had a huge comeback after um, he, you know, he, he's 30 like, Rock. Yeah. Well, well, well after he, SNL. Well, he, he also in, had some, He got in a car accident. Yeah, he had a car accident. Yeah, that's so right. he, I mean, for his his bounce back recently has been incredible because he's right. been. It's a in, show on TBS now. Yeah, like, no, he's. But this is a great performance for him. And he plays a perfect mm-hmm. Twilight Zone archetype. And he has maybe. The greatest Grinch smile I've ever seen, which yeah. you've seen the very last scene. If you know yeah. what I'm definitely. About. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely like an all-knowing character, too. He knows what he's going to do to Samir mm-hmm. in that scene. Like, he knows what's going to happen. And you almost get the sense that this has, like, happened to him already. And he's used all his material, and now he's mm-hmm. a has-been comic because he talked about all the people in his life that he could have talked about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah, he's all-knowing, but not all-telling. Um, yes, very <laughs> exactly. true. But yeah, I don't know if if he's the warning, like the harbinger saying, "I told all these jokes and look where it got me," or if he is actually the the person you make the pact with, because you know they have that toasting mm-hmm. moment where the magic is passed on. But you know, is Samir uh, supposed to pass it on, and he just doesn't? Or well, he's kind of the genie in a bottle, uh, almost. You know, or is he the, like is he like the Jacob Marley? That's the question, right? Is he there to warn? These people, in a way, this could happen, or is he there to like Eleanor says, like, be the devil or whatever, making the pact? I, I think he's the the the, the devil slash genie. I mean, I think it's, uh, it's, oh, it's it totally. goes back to so yeah. many episodes of the Twilight Zone. You just have this figure that comes in. He's able to solve all your problems, but it's going to have you know. It's, it has it's, a price. It's a be yeah. careful what you wish for. Like, yeah, it's more than you bargain for. The bargain mm-hmm. that's that's more than always you what for. it is. Is sure. because they give you what you want, but it's what you use it for. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean. It's almost like the angel and the devil on your shoulder kind of thing, yeah. where it's like he wants you to make the right decision, but that's in your hands. Mm-hmm. Well, what is in his hands when he uh, after he speaks to JC? What what what, what is uh, Samir able to do? He gets rid of his dog. Well, the power <laughs> that he is. We got to go back a little bit when Samir goes on stage and he starts telling jokes. Whoever he's willing to make a joke about disappears. As if they're just a race from existence. Like because what JC told him was, you know, if you want to make people laugh, get off the Second Amendment shit that ain't funny. You got to talk about, you got to open up to your real life, your experiences. Talk about what you know. Right. Talk about, you know, give them a piece of yourself. Mm-hmm. But he says then, of course, once you do, it's gone. Yeah. So that's kind of what we're... Well, uh, yeah, there, there are a lot of themes to glean from this one, especially in a modern age that... Yeah. So yeah, it's on the table and what's off limits when you're a public figure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, I, and I think that's in a day and age in which we demand so much of our entertainers, I think mm-hmm. that there's some great commentary there. Mm-hmm. But what is at stake? Who are the characters that are victims of this uh, this curse? Or is it a power? I, I think it's more of a curse, but... I think it depends on how you use it. Mm-hmm. What I mean, as Uncle Ben once said, with great power comes great responsibility. Oh yes, but uh, Peter Parker didn't wander around, uh, you know, zapping the, people the out of existence. What? No, not no, Uncle it's Ben. From Spider Man. From Spider Man. You know, Uncle oh. Ben. Yeah. Yeah. Sam Raimi. I've never heard of that before. You never really? heard of that? Never heard with great power. No, I'm, I'm just fucking. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's like what God. the fuck? <laughs> it's classic literature in this modern age. Yes. We love comic <laughs> That's books. Shakespeare. Yeah. Seriously. Okay, Bill Maher. Yeah. Right. Oh God. So Smear gets this power and. He starts noticing that whatever he's talking about is getting laughs first off, which he hasn't had. And he's loving this. But what is the first thing that he loses? His dog. His dog. Oh, my God. I would Cat. Lose... <laughs> or cat. caterpillar. Yeah. But cat for short. Yeah, which I thought was pretty funny. Oh, I thought it was great. I thought that, that, I thought that the name dog. of his dog was funnier than the actual joke that he was telling. Oh, originally. God, I would have to concur. I'm but... just going to say, <laughs> at any of the nights I've gone to, and I've limited to two, he would have bombed with his his dog... You, you all look like uh, dogs taking a shit. My dog pissed on my pizza material. Yeah. It, it wouldn't have flown. No, and, that, and that's one of the, the minor you know quibbles I have with this episode is that none of the jokes that he's actually yeah. telling are even jokes. JC just, promises you'll get laughs. Yeah. yeah. You'll get what you want. He won't say you'll be funny. That's part of the power. I don't think you actually have to tell a joke after that. You just have to expose something personal, something real. Oh, yeah. Mm. Sometimes he just screams names, right? Exactly, which in turn affects his girlfriend, Amara Karan's character. I think Mm -hmm. that's how you pronounce her last name. Amara Karan? Yeah. Karan? Yeah. Yeah. Rena? 
who's also in the night of, um, she's also in one of my favorite Doctor Who episodes, The God Complex, which mm. is also another spooky episode. But I thought she was great in this, too. Like, she's one of my favorite characters in the episode. Yeah. Whereas we kind of know where this is going to head. Sure. You know, like, I, I kind of figured that, spoiler alert, he was going to have to sacrifice himself to end all this madness. The journey to get there is pretty interesting. And this if, goes in some uh, crazy zigs and zags. Yeah. Like, if not himself, he was going to at least have to get to that point where someone he really cared about, he might have to decide, are the laughs worth vanishing them? Yeah. You know? And then obviously I think it went even more interesting with where it did go. Yeah, because, to- I mean, because this show, and this is something we didn't really get to address in the first episode, but... You know, this is these are longer episodes. This is kind of like in the latter era of the original run of the Twilight Zone, in which these aren't just 30 minute episodes. These are like 40, 50 minute episodes. And I think what's great about that is that you're actually able to kind of breathe in this world a little bit more. You mm-hmm. know, you're actually able to kind of see some of the more consequences and kind of, you know, build, add some sort of layers to character. And, you know, because by the end, when he's actually zapping away characters that we do know, it's so much more affecting. And well, I mean, this would have been a very different episode. If it was the old, hey, we have 22 minutes and yeah. we have commercials. Oh, yeah. Because one of the things that threw me off was, okay, he just disappeared Caterpillar, right? We've we've lost oh. the dog. Doesn't know what's going on yet. Then he loses his, his nephew. girlfriend's or, yeah. nephew, right? Yeah. And he still doesn't. You know, I mean, we've just lost a 10-year-old boy here. Yeah. <laughs> and he still isn't for, for sure certain, oh, I did that. Then he figures out. You know what I mean? So... We've we've lost a ten year old boy, and we haven't even made like a moral ethical decision yet. Mm. That's typically where this episode would end up, where the boy or his girlfriend was at stake. You know, yeah. that'd be the very last thing he would do. Yeah, we're no, there right. ten minutes into a fifty minute episode, <laughs> and like we've lost the cat, we've lost the boy. Who's who or the who's dog next? gets the cat? Uh, who the hell would let anyone near this guy? You know, you shouldn't be babysitting. I do think in like a shorter episode, I don't think we would have had like Cape Crusader moment. Mm. Being oh yeah. Like, well, because then he gets rid of the comedian that's a dick to him, mm-hmm. who caused the drunk driving accident yep. that killed two people at the bus stop. Which definitely pivots this into him being this sort of like vigilante. Yeah, but again, sure, he saves the lives of two people, but he also takes advantage of the situation and gets rid of his competition. Yeah, he's kind of a schmuck. He's an asshole. Exactly. I mean, he's in a situation here where. He really breaks down. He goes, oh, my God, I know what happened to the dog, right? I know what happened to your nephew. He's breaking down there. He thinks he's crazy or that he actually did this. He isn't sure. And then starts rationalizing a little bit. Well, I didn't quite kill him. He never existed. And, okay, maybe I'm not going to go after family members, but I can go after people I look up on Facebook who I used to know that I don't like. Yeah. You know, so exactly. I mean, in no way is this moral behavior, but he starts drawing new lines because, again, he's getting the laughs that he never got. He went up there a hundred times, never got one laugh or got you know, stale chuckles. All of a sudden they love him, you know, so yeah. what is he willing to do? He's willing to, you know, go throw some of those jerks from high school. <laughs> what would you do? That's the what would you do part, right? Yeah. Would you for success? Would you do that to your old those people people you hated back in the day? You know, uh, I mean? I'll answer that in a, in yeah. a little bit when we get down that, <laughs> that down that road. But for but he's me, a mon- he becomes a monster in a way. Yeah. Oh, he is a total monster. But Eleanor, what, what, what do you make of this? Yeah. No, he justifies it way too quickly <laughs> for himself. <laughs> and I do. I wonder. This may not be the time in the podcast for this, but I wonder at which point he lost each of us, you know, um, you know, you're on his side for a while because you're like, mm-hmm. oh, well, and I, I do think if he had understood what was happening and disappeared the dog and recognized that it would have been really serious because yeah. <laughs> dogs are important. Oh, oh dogs are I can so vouch important. for that. Yeah, Dogs are very important. Well, I mean, especially I think, if it was a yeah, I think it comes down again to this was an old episode. He would have figured out what was going on probably with the dog. Yeah. And then he would have had to make a moral decision. And he doesn't, I guess the decision he he makes is, I can get over Devin and keep this going as long as I give up something for my life that's not too close. It's not someone I directly care about. But what he ends up finding out by doing that is, eventually, it's going to bite you on the ass. As he finds out when he gets rid of his girlfriend's (laughs) mentor. Yeah, And I say mentor meaning... A guy that's what fifteen years older than her has a sweater, uh, uh, a beard, and uh, he's the gen. You know, and is there eating dinner with her when you show up after your comic set? That's the type of mentor we are talking about. And of course, he finds out 
that ends up affecting her and ends up affecting him. So it does keep snowballing on him. But I mean, that first time he, I mean, it's like Elroy said, like he got really comfortable too quickly with getting yeah. rid of people. Would you say his rampage is start is spawned from when he sees his girlfriend's predicament? Cause he just feels like all hope is lost. Oh, definitely. But I think he was on it before. I think he was feeling the high of the power and, and feeling totally justified and like he was doing a good thing in the beginning. Things are really simple. Like the two things he cares about are his girlfriend, Raina and hypocrisies in gun control law, you know? Yes. <laughs> I thought the cruelest thing that happened is when he kind of goes after this competition. Uh, that that is where he lost me. <laughs> yeah. Okay, right? let's just let's just let's bring this into focus here. Um so you were okay with him uh getting rid of like hundreds of people from high school who were judged oh, yeah. him. You, let, let's let's be honest, you got picked on a lot, so yeah, that says a lot about me. But, you know, you have not only do you have a character who who literally just like point blank admits that she's wrong about him and that he's funny. Yeah. I mean, she just she totally, you know, confesses to him and, and opens yeah. up to him. And then he still turns around and just boom, nixes her. Um, that is the thing. Like, I think he's misguided up until that point. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's like fooling himself. But then when he hits that point, he knows exactly what he's doing. And, you know, I think that's where we're supposed to turn on him. Yeah, well said. I think that's, that's perfectly put. And it really is that question. I think Jordan Peele puts like, what is more important to you? What are you willing to do? Well, he uh, even sure. says in the episode that he like there's a, a whole dialogue he has where he talks about how he wants people to talk about him yeah. and he wants mm-hmm. his name on people's lips basically. And that's what matters to him is that he's talked about and he's mm-hmm. relevant. And we're in a day and age right now that that's all anyone wants right now is we yeah. just want to show the best aspects of ourselves. We want everyone to see how wonderful our lives are all the time. And I think that that's like a major downfall of his is that he is willing to give up everything that matters to him so that people are talking about him. Mm-hmm. And he and he comes to the conclusion too after things have backfired on him for the real first time. He comes to the conclusion that you know maybe you have to give up something to get something, which you know again is I think him totally fooling himself here. You know, I just think he's uh, another uh, soulless victim of the Twilight Zone. <laughs> Am I putting a button on that? I think that's fair to say. I think he loses his soul by the end yeah. of the, the, the whole thing. No, I definitely, I mean, I even wrote in my notes that it's this kind of, I sold my soul to the devil sure. to obtain what I wanted. You know, it's that classic trope of what are you willing to give up to get what you want? And um, it's not always a great ending there. No. Whenever you get into these types of stories where um, you're, you finally get everything you ever wanted, right? Or you have the power to get everything you ever wanted what it really does is it reveals who you really are yeah you know what i mean so like oh, some definitely. people always say like you know if you get 10 million dollars you don't become a better person you just become more of the person you already are you know you have the ability to go do even more of what you already do or whatever mm-hmm. so i mean i think it's a case where he finds things out about himself and i think his girlfriend sort of in one of the standoffs at the end you know sort of the showdowns scenes she, you know, she really makes him realize. She, I mean, he he comes to the conclusion: I'm not quite the guy I thought I was, or at least there's other sides to me that I didn't know were there, or that could come out and play at times. And then I think that kind of leads to that sort of ending. We talked about a lot of f- similarities and familiarities about this episode, and I think, like Nightmare at Thirty Thousand Feet, there are a lot of echoes to the past, especially in Twilight Zone lore. And I think we should talk about that in our next section: light and shadow. We know that a dream can be real. But whoever thought that reality could be a dream? Think about it. And then ask yourself, do you live here, in this country, in this world? Or do you live instead, in the twilight zone? All right, in this section, we like to talk about the parallels to old episodes and beyond, especially in, you know, other artifacts in pop culture. And I think there are a lot of illusions you can tie to um, past episodes here. Uh, Definitely. Um, I think the man in the bottle from season two of the episode where it's like an elderly couple who owns an antique shop. Oh, absolutely. And Mm -hmm. they rub a a vase, I believe it is, and a genie pops out. Yep. And he grants them three wishes. 
And one of the wishes he makes is to have a million dollars or it's something like, I think I'm pretty sure it's a million dollars. And he just starts handing it out to the, um, the townsfolk. Mm-hmm. And then someone comes in, he's like, like a tax, uh, guy who like yeah. collects the money and he's like, you owe us this amount of money. So it's like essentially all the money that he asked for from the, from the genie. And so I felt a lot of parallels to that. And I think the man in the bottle is a perfect example as to the loophole wish trope, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think even without the genie, there's always that notion in the Twilight Zone that like whatever you're wanting or whatever you desire, you're never really going to actually attain. You know, even like, you know, like time enough at last, you know, one of the, the most classic episodes of the Twilight Zone, this is this guy who finally has all this time to read and his glasses break. So there's always just some twist that's going to fuck you over in the twilight zone. For me, like I actually thought there are a few episodes that this certainly reminded me of, for instance, like one of the first season episodes, what you need in which you have this dog that's like trying to exploit some peddler who can see into the future and discern just like what a person will need in an emergency. And like that sort of notion of whoever's coming in that can help you in the twilight zone. Usually it's not as if he has like Mm -hmm. ill intentions, but he's, there to prove some sort of, you know, morality to for mm-hmm. the actual protagonist that's at hand. And yeah. just even the idea of people disappearing reminds me of like Anthony Fremont and it's a good life. Just mm-hmm. the way that they, I mean, oh, you mean me? Yeah, you know, <laughs> exactly. But I mean, obviously they don't go to some sort of proverbial cornfield. Who knows? I don't know where these people go. They just kind of get zooped out of existence. But that way that he was so able to just kind of write down names and get angry at them certainly reminded me of that. Yeah, definitely. This is a a pact with the devil, you know, make a bad deal, monkey paw situation. But it also got me thinking about the episodes that are about performers like uh, Mm. The Trouble with Templeton and The 16 Inch Shrine, um, both of which talk about performers who kind of get stuck in the in the performance. Um, And so with with Trouble with Templeton, uh, there's a line in the closing uh, narration about how he got himself a round trip ticket to the twilight zone. And I was thinking that sometimes you get out. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes you Jordan Peele's get out, but sometimes, (laughs) sometimes you get stuck. And I think that he was the one of the ones who gets Samir is one of the ones who gets stuck just like uh, the main character in the 16 millimeter shrine. There's even a little bit of the big tall wish, which is one of my favorite episodes too. in that, and that, that, that dealing of magic and, in that one, that's more about like second chances and how this guy's own sort of like hubris couldn't actually allow him to let that magic exist. And so all that goes away. And that one ends actually not not, not so tragic as this. Even beyond the Twilight Zone, that, Matt, you actually brought up a good point. It was like the ending straight up from The Shining. Like, yeah, you know, I mean, there's an homage to The Shining. Where well, at least Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. But Yeah, Stanley Kubrick's yeah, where we see him. Just like you saw Jack Nicholson... Um, in the photo, they'd always been at the Overlook. You see Samir um, in that audience. Um, at the beginning, it's kind of actually a cool fact. At the beginning, they show um, painted faces on a wall, and you think maybe they're the audience, but it's actually just, um, you know, again, it's, it's a painting on the wall. You look at the actual tables, they're there to see Samir's act, and they're mostly empty. And then at the end, he becomes one of those faces in the crowd on the wall. Again, just I think Jordan Peele saying, hey, you know, there's there's been a lot of great stuff that's inspired us inspired me as a storyteller over the years. So I, I think it was just a wink or a nod, you know, tip of the cap to someone. And he is a huge fan of that because in the Keen Peel episode, oh, okay. in one of the Continental skits, well, in a lot of the Continental skits in Keen Peel, there are references to, one of them references the Twilight Zone, the Nightmare at uh, 30,000 Feet. And then the hotel one, the hotel references one references The Shining. The shining yeah. and, I'll have what I'm having. Yeah. And as we could, <laughs> oh God, I love that sketch. <laughs> and, and as you could tell from Jordan Peele's wardrobe recently, he clearly loves The Shining as he dressed up pretty much as, as Jack, like Jack Torrance. Torrance but <laughs> did anyone notice in the, the background, in the actual dressing room, you could see a ventriloquist that looks strangely like the dummy that's in the episode with Cliff Robertson called the dummy. It was the season three episode. It's right there in the corner. I, you know, I, tr- you know, I definitely tried to pause and zoom in, but I, I'm pretty sure that's supposed to be it like looked a just little, like him. Yeah. yeah. I, when we were watching it, you pointed him out to me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I agree. I, I want to say that's like a, a nice little token reference for sure. And I'm wondering if that's going to be the case for a lot of episodes. Cause mm-hmm. clearly we all, we had the, you know, the doll that was floating on the, the ocean, in the first mm-hmm. episode, you have the ventriloquist dummy. I, I'm wondering if this is trying to like, kind of sent out the message that this is still in the same universe as the the first series. I think Easter eggs will be prominent. And I think that that's smart of him because it's, 
it's almost like what Castle Rock did for Stephen King um, mm-hmm. in its best times yeah. <laughs> uh, was, you know, give little nods to the fans um, that necessarily don't mean anything to the plot. But if you are a fan of the series and it means something to you and you're well versed in it, you notice it. Yeah. You know, it doesn't mean that you have to have watched every episode to understand what's happening, yeah. but you at least kind of see that little nod. And I think that's how like those are the best types of Easter eggs when it doesn't have to do it's not being shoved down your throat, you yeah. know? We kind of praise the the creator, Jordan Peele, every episode. But, I mean, it shows his love of these properties. It shows how much care he puts in an episode. To put, you know, to put something into an episode that maybe only a handful of people would pick up on. Or, you know, maybe only a handful of people would be able to see. And only if they zoomed in. But he just liked the idea that it was there, you know? Because you, I remember I was, I was reading your review, and there, there was a line where he said, there's no pressure. The reward is I get to go to work, and I get to work on this stuff, and it's yeah. fun. And I think he's, I really think he's right now, at this point in his career, especially with the Twilight Zone, he's a kid in a candy store, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm sure he might have been that way maybe on Key and Peel, where it's just like, I get to go out, I get to create this stuff. Here's all the stuff I love, and he's, you know, he's going to throw it in there. And again, you want someone who's that enthusiastic. You want someone who loves the material as much as you do, but of course also has the talent and the ability to put it out there, put it together, you know. I shouldn't be making the show, but I love that he loves this stuff as much as I do. And I would much rather have these little subtle homages than doing, like, full-on remakes of episodes. Oh, for sure. Or any other sort of revisitations. Because, like, I don't actually feel we need to redo episodes at all i mean i'm actually one of the things i do love about this episode is the fact that while yes there are some sort of similar themes and motifs of past episodes that we've seen on the twilight zone for sure just especially as eleanor mentioned with like the monkey's paws thing eleanor did you uh, catch any more parallels or were you were you good there i didn't but i do think that they're both a, a wink like hey i'm with you i'm you know a fan i see it um, but also a differentiation. So they're saying it's cool. We're on the same page, but also yeah. this is different mm-hmm. from the old episodes. This is new. We're going to take a break for a second and we're going to send you a nice message because before we travel onward into deeper dimensional drifts, it serves well to let you know that our continued existence rests entirely in your hands. If you find The Fifth Dimension to be a welcome escape to your favorite anthology of the unknown, please consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. Apple Podcasts is the largest podcasting platform there is, so taking the time to share your thoughts there means a lot. On that note, Podchaser is an incredible resource for podcast discovery, including host profiles, so you can follow our exploits across other series, and the ability to rate and review specific episodes, create lists, and more. Do us the tremendous favor of leaving a review, and we just might read it here on the show. We should also tell you that if you're a fan of thrills, chills, and paranormal experiences, you should check out some of our other series here on the Consequence Podcast Network, The Losers Club, The Stephen King Podcast, or Halloweenies, where we dissect horror franchises one film at a time, beginning with Halloween and now the Nightmare on Elm Street series. If you haven't yet, be sure to add the Fifth Dimension to Twilight Zone podcast to your preferred podcast app so you'll never miss an episode. And keep the discussion going with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for Fifth Dimension Podcast. Now that we've finished that lovely little message, we're going to move on to science and superstition. Obscure a metaphysical explanation to cover a phenomenon. Reasons dredged out of the shadows to explain away that which cannot be explained. Call it parallel planes or just insanity. Whatever it is, you'll find it in the twilight zone all right in this section we discuss the fundamentals and the mechanics of the zone debate whether this episode is science fiction or fantasy and specifically what made us sweat what gave us uh the heebie-jeebies the 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 creeps so uh i want to start with you sammy i definitely think it's fantasy um oh totally obviously i mean we're dealing (laughs) with a genie or like jinn type with Tracy Morgan's character, which is a character we've seen. I don't know if any of you guys have watched stars, American gods. There's like a whole episode to a Jin. Also, this is going to like make me seem very lame, but supernatural has done a bunch of Jin episodes Mm. as well. Oh, lame. I know I'm well aware. Just a CW girl over here. I am. And I will (laughs) not lie about it. Okay. (laughs) Those boys are so cute. I've watched every episode of that stupid show. Anyways, what I'm saying is, The Jinn is a fantasy trope. It always will be. It has really nothing to do with science fiction. It's this story that we've seen over and over again. 
you know, of, of course, the be careful what you wish for um, thing. So I just I don't see any sci fi in this episode at all. I think it's just kind of fantasy grounded in reality and what they do with what they're given. And that's kind of what makes me excited about this series. More recently, the only thing we really had that's been close to the Twilight Zone is mostly like Black Mirror. And Black Mirror is so relegated specifically to science fiction because it's all about, te- you know, technology and, what you know, all the, the ills that come from it. So when you see something like this, it does remind you of just how fantastical this show can really be and just how many different genres you can really, you know, go for. And I know for me that 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 was just it's reinvigorating and it just reminded me of just how much I miss this show. Unlike Nightmare at 30,000 feet, it didn't feel like this was entirely the product of a human mind. Like that was not a possibility. Like something yeah. was actually triggering some kind of magic. So I would put it, obviously it's it's got some fantasy roots, but I would put it a little bit more on the uh, sci-fi side of the continuum because um, you're dealing with infinite universes and time travel and um you know not directly but but those types of concepts which are are more towards the sci-fi area you know if there's a Mm. universe where your girlfriend's mentor doesn't exist or a universe where that guy from high school doesn't exist it kind of changes everything and and you're looking at a whole new universe well i guess that kind of goes into more of like the fundamentals and the mechanics of this of this particular zone like are we to assume that like when he makes that joke and they laugh he himself is maybe shifting to different universes per se. Oh, maybe, you know, <laughs> like maybe he's standing up there and he's in in the, in the stage is almost like this vessel for him to kind of go to wherever, you know, alternate reality that he's dictating at that moment. I'm just getting into the nitty gritty of things, but so you think you think it's potential. His set actually takes place on a stage in another dimension <laughs> or in the twilight zone. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I to do the twilight zone. Sort of in that moment. Well, it's interesting because, you know, nobody remembers who he's talking about. You know, he makes that these jokes. Was, Everyone's making yeah. jo- laughing about it. But nobody remembers who he's talking about. Even, his, you know, his girlfriend when he mentions, you know, her mentor. Yeah. And they don't remember the jokes. They yeah. just laughed at, nor do they remember maybe someone they just met. Yeah. So it makes yeah. me wonder if it's actually Samir going to different planes of existence, if we're going to be going by like that sci-fi na- na- nature, which I kind of like it in a way, too, because there's two different ways you could look at it. You could see if, if there is this idea that someone's totally being wiped away. That's fantastical for sure. And unlike Nightmare at 30,000 feet, um, and they kind of answered this. But I do wonder, does he get to wherever he's going and everybody else is there? Everybody else who's been disappeared is there going, hey, what the heck, man? You know? <laughs> yeah. But I'm so glad they didn't answer that. I'm, I'm so glad they left it slightly ambiguous, but also stuck him in the, in Me the too. picture. Me too. And especially since, you know, you see at the end that he is a part of that sort of mural. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone he vanished is back and good to go. Mm-hmm. So that was sort of... Um, because if he didn't exist, does that mean that they come back into existence? Yeah, I don't yeah. think that... They never really answer that, for se. He's there if you know to look, but if you don't know to look, you would never notice him. Mm-hmm. Which is almost yeah. like a commentary on just, like, you know, past comics and, you know, mm-hmm. entertainers in general. What made us sweat? What were some some moments here that just really got uh, under your skin? I don't know that this episode really got under my skin. Like, no? I, I wasn't really stressed out for anyone I I mean, there was a sense of danger for sure, but like, it's not like they died, the, like the people that he wished away, they just didn't exist. And from someone who constantly wishes they didn't exist at times, oh. <laughs> it's this freeing feeling of like, how nice it would be to like, not have to worry about stuff. And it's not like you killed this person, or people remember you or anything, you're just... You're not there anymore, mm-hmm. and Just people let me go say, on. I am good worrying about stuff. Don't do me any favors <laughs> and, and wish me away, please. I'll deal with my daily stresses. Well, Matt yeah. Mellis. No, I'm just joking. Oh, my God. What, what made me sweat? Yeah, what, what got what got under your skin? Uh, Eleanor, did you want to go before me? Yeah, go for it, Eleanor. Oh, um, well, I was just going to say, who's this Matt Mellis you're talking about? I've never heard what? of What? Oh, I don't, I don't know. Oh, he doesn't exist. Oh, my God, he <laughs> don't exist. Yeah. Okay, very funny, you know, but if you do this for about 30 more seconds and you're all in on it, I'm totally going to start believing it. So. Do, you, do you hear <laughs> a buzzing? Let's cut this out now. That was good, though. Yeah. That was good. I just wanted him to make good decisions, and I knew he wasn't going to because otherwise, you know, it wouldn't be mm-hmm. television. But, you know, I was... When he started thinking he could 
change the world for the better. I was going, no, buddy, come on. You know, you know, yeah, I think like you do. The self, so the self-righteousness got, mm. got to you for yeah. sure. Was he making the world better or was he just like, these are people are disposable. That's what I thought. He was making the world better for himself. I guess. But then he's also getting rid of people that were like either drunk drivers or abusers. and whatnot, Yeah, but so. he wouldn't have gotten rid of that character if he wasn't competition to himself. Yeah, I guess so. I think whenever you whenever you step over that line and you are, you know, to quote George Bush, who we all miss actually right now, um, when you make yourself the decider, you know, I mean, that's you've crossed the line when you get to decide who who vanishes. But uh, for me, what what made me sweat? There was a there was a couple things that I really liked. I thought Rena, and that was again Amara Karen. She again was that one person who could uh, who could sort of make him see himself for what he'd become. And I thought she was brilliant in it. And I really, really loved the backfire again mm-hmm. when he's when he's punishing the past or being a vigilante or just doing it because these people are disposable and he can get you know head by. I love when it backfires and you know he said he realizes, oh my God, you'd become a lawyer without your mentor, and oh my God, we didn't get to go to France, so we did. I mean, as much as you've started disliking this guy and seeing what he's capable of, I do think in that moment that. Um, he seriously said, oh, my God, I really screwed things up. But then again, he gets over it fairly quickly <laughs> until the end. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, but that idea that, oh, my God, this came back to bite me like that. And this affected the one person out there I really love, you know, I mean, and changed her and changed her life forever. That gave me sweats. And then the other thing was that I thought was and again, I love the visuals, but um, I like the fact that whether you were in a diner whether you were in his apartment hall, his apartment, a comedy club. I love how it was all lit the same. Yeah. The same lighting. And like, if you blacked out everything, you would have like a star grid of just these, you know, lights here and there. And like the light, it, it reminded me of like, um, you ever see dark city? Yeah. And they go like, you know, there were a couple day scenes, but they go, do you ever remember when it wasn't dark? Mm-hmm. I mean, it just, and, cause it wouldn't be like that in real life. It was just, it was just the way I felt like, when I saw that lighting, I was in the twilight zone. I, I actually thought this is the best directed of the two. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that the 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 close shots and just the the set design mm-hmm. reminded me so much sure. of the old the old series. And I actually was wondering what it would look like if you actually set it in black and white. And I think it wouldn't look mm-hmm. too dissimilar from what you saw. The close ups on the faces mm-hmm. laughing. Yeah. And, I mean, oh, I think it would have been fine of, in black and white. And yeah. I think like the mm-hmm. whole time we were watching it. We because we watched them in reverse. We yeah. watched the comedian first. The mm-hmm. whole time Mike and I were watching it, we were waiting for Jordan Peele to make his appearance. And then when he finally stepped out into their apartment and started mm-hmm. talking, it just it fits so perfectly. He did everything so right. And I was just I remember I grabbed Mike's arm and I was like, this is it. Like, this is what we wanted. Yeah. And um, it lived up to what I thought was not going to be very good. <laughs> so I think his narration and everything about this episode flowed very well. I think the biggest difference was the time, like you said, because it it was long enough that you could figure out that he's got to take himself out and you figure that out about halfway through. But then the way it was such a slow intro, you know, like you had time to, to set a full scene like you would in a movie or a show. Yeah. It was a huge difference and, and it was beautiful. For me, I, I might have already mentioned, you know, the situation with Opinion Comic. Who, who did, Matt, did you have the, the name for her? It was Dee Dee Scott, who yeah. was interesting because they went with, I believe, uh, you know, a black lesbian comedian who was very, you know, upfront. Um, Just vicious towards him. Vicious towards him. But I mean, her humor, you know, she wasn't yeah. she wasn't holding back, you know, oh, yeah. at all, you know, with that style of comedy for sure. Which is, And that's the stuff that he does that gets him in trouble, which is kind of funny. But I, I, I thought... With her, her arc was very interesting because obviously they come from a sense of place where they understand each other, mm-hmm. but she gives them so much shit until she doesn't. And then that turns out to be almost her downfall also. I mean, it's just, I really thought her character was interesting. And I thought that to Eleanor's point about the time, that really played into my own anxieties towards her because I actually ended up caring for her, which was mm-hmm. something that doesn't really get to, ha- you don't really get to have that in a 30 minute show because yeah. you don't get to actually spend time with that person. So for me, it, I thought that was incredibly effective. Right. You got the sense that there was a, there was a day in and day out grind for them. Mm-hmm. And she gave him shit because she was the, you know, she was on top of the mountain there for yeah. a while. But I mean, there was, there was a mutual respect because she knows, cause you know, at some point she was him up there. Yeah. Maybe not talking about the second amendment, but <laughs> you know, maybe the third amendment, 
whatever. I don't even know what that is. Well, it's a very mad. Yeah. yeah. But, but you know, I mean, it's she, she had been there. So there's a mutual respect. And I, I love when Tracy Morgan's urging him on, just do what you got to do, make it happen, which makes us again, I think, wonder what was Tracy Morgan's real intentions here when he's like, like, you need to go that final mile, you know? But I love that when he says, I don't want to go on tonight. It's not mm-hmm. worth it to me. She goes, oh, no, you're going on because I earned this. Yeah. You know, I paid my dues. I'm going to get this the right way. Like, you're not going to lay down for me, too. And I loved her for that. I thought she was an awesome character. Yeah, she's yeah. she's probably my favorite character of this episode, for sure. And I just think that's why I just it really hit hard when, like, he actually turned on her. So let's go into the lesson. The tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices, to be found only in the minds of men. For the record, prejudices can kill. Uh, What this provoked for me, you know, you have that question of, is he justified in offing the bad people? And one (laughs) thing that I really like about certain Twilight Zone episodes from the old series is that they do have a lot of forgiveness and empathy and, and, you know, not always forgiveness, but definitely empathy. So something like Judgment Night, you're going to see, you know, somebody who's getting his comeuppance, you know, the the German um, boat commander, I don't remember what he's called, <laughs> right, right. who bombs the civilian ship or tor- torpedoes the civilian ship and then has to relive that over and over again as though he were a passenger on the civilian ship. You know, you're not feeling sympathy for him, except that you you kind of do you feel for him because he's he's having to live with his sins. And then there are other episodes like Dust was one that came to mind because it's specifically about essentially a drunk driver. It's just set in the old west. So this guy um, runs over a a kid and and kills a kid. Um, And then you spend the entire episode realizing that he's worthy of your forgiveness or that, um, you know, wanting blood for the blood isn't going to make things better. That was not a component of the approach to the uh, the comedian who the drunk driver comedian. You know, we we aren't really supposed to feel any sympathy for him. And that made me really uncomfortable. Oh. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm not defending <laughs> drunk driving, we should, obviously. We but should all be uncomfortable with that. I agree. Yeah. That you can't be the person who makes... You know, that's not one person's decision to, exactly. to decide if someone's right or wrong. It's like a right God complex. You yeah. can't yeah. be the person to make the decision whether someone lives or dies. It's yeah. not a human thing. We can't yeah. have that. And we all do bad things. It's like in 12 Angry Men where the guy, the one guy goes, the one jerk goes together. Why is it so important for you to flip the switch, you know, on the kid? You know, I mean... I mean, we should be uncomfortable with being, you know, the decider. Uh, yeah, being well, the, the decider with having that type of power, you know. Because it's and an he's not, thing. and that's you know, that's not natural. How easy he is with that, how he rationalizes mm-hmm. that. For me, I actually took this kind of a more abstract metaphor about just like the current cancel culture we live in. In that, you know, anyone that you're outraged or pissed off with, you're going to just totally delete and just wipe away. Mm-hmm. And seeing how, you know, as I mentioned before, like so much of this show is entrenched in like the cool comic culture that's out there right now. I mean, and that's definitely a big, you know, prevalent theme, especially in like the last couple of years in which anyone who makes even the slightest remarks, their whole careers are derailed. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's become. It's become cancel culture. We just immediately mute. We immediately block. I mean, this is something that like, you know, Black Mirror is definitely uh, addressed. And for me, I felt Samir's power parallels that that sort of idea and that sort of message but i also thought it was definitely a missive on just the intimacy we you know we demand from our entertainers and that so much of of entertainment today is just i want to see you know what they're doing on a daily basis i want to know what who they're talking to who are they dating you know how like what what do they eat what's their sexual orientation like what is their background where do they go to school how many things did they do wrong i think that the fact that you put that out there 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 are consequences for that Mm -hmm. you know they're the people that you love it's almost like you know it's not to draw back into spider-man here here but (laughs) you know you put yourself out there on the line especially if you're in a public domain like there are consequences for those that are around you and your loved ones. And I think that's what this episode sort of uh, harkens upon. So Matt mentioned um, Marvelous Ms. Maisel and it's the exact same, uh, you know, the crux of that story is, is that she exposes her family and then you can't 
do comedy and also maintain your personal relationships. So I guess yeah. it's a real thing. Actually, another thing to your point, Mike, we have these ads. Like, I, I don't know if you've seen the uh, the ads with um, Jordan Peele and Chelsea Peretti, where they're a real life couple, but then there are ads that feature them where you're you're kind of seeing into their cutesy home life and. It's really weird to me. Like, I'm good for them getting the money. Great. <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's weird to me because I feel like, okay, you're you're now, uh, you know, staging your relationship for our entertainment while you sell yeah. stuff. You know, it's weird. Uh, but the fact that they're a real-life couple is what makes it something that can be used as a tool to sell us stuff. Well, I definitely think this episode had a commentary on what we as people are willing to do to become the next big thing Mm -hmm. or, you know, to obtain followers on these meaningless social media sites. Um, I mean, like, God, we were just watching the Firefest documentary and like under people's names for their occupation was social media influencer. And that's the world we live in now is that you can make a living off of promoting things because you have like 100,000 followers on a website. And I think that like, when it comes down to his whole purpose is to get his name out there. And I think that's a really scary thought is that it's not, it's everyone. Like I even do it sometimes. We are all wanting that because it makes us feel, it's like when the likes come in on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter and you feel validated or like, Mm -hmm. Oh, someone agrees with me or someone thinks that I'm funny. You know, it's, it's scary to think that we as people rely on other people's opinions so much yeah what a world we live in especially when it's so easy to misinterpret you mm-hmm. you know and so you don't want people to get the wrong idea but you do want them to pay attention you just want them to pay attention to exactly the narrative you're putting forward which you can't control and then it kind of creates this like false cognitive dissonance of like what is reality and what's this uncanny valley that you've created for yourselves mm-hmm. and, and it's kind of a, a terrifying construct too because then we're all just wandering around like we're fucking Sam Neill and in the mouth of Bandis being like <laughs> what is re- this is not reality this is not reality so I don't know I, I just love the current you know world we live in but Matt what, what were your thoughts? Uh, I mean I shared all those um, same I think takeaways in terms of ideas of you know um, the validation and success we seek and and the, the, the lengths we'll go what we'll put out there you and I Mike I mean we we talk about it probably once a month writing a piece, maybe like quite how much should we reveal of ourselves, you know, to our readers, it's, you know, consequence of sound. Um, So I I totally get that. I totally get sort of this eraser, this erasing culture. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I kind of, that's kind of how I looked at it again. I think what's interesting about this type of story, this be careful what you wish for story is you tend to see the real person, their true colors come out or part of or something they didn't know was there that came out. And I, I thought it was, it was fascinating where Samir took that, where this story took that, but I was really uncomfortable with where it took it for a while. But then at the same time, he ultimately does the right thing in the end. And I mean, if there's one thing in 2019, I just look around and I admire, is someone who is willing to do the right thing, mm-hmm. you know, who's not a moral coward, meaning they know it's the right thing and they're willing to do it. They don't shirk that responsibility, even if it means ending up in a wall, right? Even if it means not uh, getting exactly what you want or at all what you want. You know, I don't think this is necessarily um, a happy ending for Samir, but I sure think it's a more noble ending than where he was heading otherwise. And he fixes. And everything around him is correct. So it works out for the other people around him, even though it doesn't necessarily for him. So I guess that leads to one question then. Uh (laughs) Who won? Who won? Yeah, if you're, I mean, because I, I agree with you. I think it does have yeah. that sort of landing. If if you would say, if you're saying that, who do you think wins here? If your goal is to get everything you want in the world, you know, then um, it's it's not Samir, you know. <laughs> yeah. If um, if your goal is, I mean, to to eventually do the right thing, and I, I you know, again, I believe in second chances. We live in I a society too. right now that doesn't that has given up the idea of second chances. And I don't want to live in that one uh, because I I don't know what chance I'm on at this point. Same, I'm like right? a cat. Right? I'm on my ninth chance. Yeah, so <laughs> I think you know what I think. I think Samir wins because again, 
sometimes doing the right thing, and this is why people don't do it. It's difficult to, and a lot of times, you know, think about our society. We victimize the whistleblowers, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not victimized. We uh, vilify the whistleblowers. I mean, we, you know, the people do the right thing. We say, oh, we're glad you do that, that we fire them. We kick them out. We, you know, we ostracize them. So I think, I think Samir wins. I think at the, I don't like, I can't be comfortable with some of the, the steps he takes on his journey, but at the end of the day, he did the right thing. All the people he discarded are brought back and okay. I think he's a winner at the end of the day. I think he, he embraced the best part of himself at the end. I would say Tracy Morgan is the winner. He, <laughs> Tracy Morgan's character got exactly what he wanted. Was to, Is that what he wanted? Yeah, think? I think so. I think like that's uh, the whole point of his power was to <laughs> kind of create chaos for this character. And mm. I think he what he sat out to do when he sat down at the bar and ordered his drink was to make this happen. And he does it again at the end of the story with his competition. So yeah. I think his whole purpose is to keep doing this. To always be comedians. curious. Always be curious to what end. And we'll never know the answer to that. What exactly happened to him and why he's doing what? I mean, we'll I mean, never know. Again, it's a lot of speculation, but no, I agree with you. He's clearly out. And when we see the Grinch smile at the end, he's clearly out to, to be devious and create mischief. So he does that. I guarantee you. And then he comes out and he yells. He yells at him, like, finish this off. Like, he has something to gain by him taking this next step. Yeah. Or it's like he's gaining souls or something. Like, if it was, yeah. you know, he's, 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 he's the new type of artist that uses actual people and, and portraits on walls and, you know, <laughs> yeah, he's or stuff Freddy. like that, you know. It's like Freddy Krueger. All his art's from real people. I don't know. I think uh, I think he does not win. I think Samir wins, but um, I, think, All right. I think that J.C. Wheeler does not win. Uh, because I think J.C. Wheeler is still, you know, he's still on the hunt. He's still out there. His story mm-hmm. is not done. And I think that Samir, you know, goes as far as he can go. He wins the Twilight Zone, but he's also stuck in it. <laughs> he doesn't escape it. Yeah. There's no spoils to be had. Yeah. But he, yeah, I agree with you. He wins. He does the best he can. I'm in between. I think it could. Do, I think it's one of those things where you're one of the best things about the Twilight Zone. You can kind of look <laughs> at it in either way. And kind of go from there. But I guess the last question we have to ask ourselves is uh, in this next section we call Penny for Your Thoughts. It doesn't matter, Mr. Poole. A man with your ability. Hearing people's thoughts, strange delusion. But with proper medical care, it will go away. Miss Turner, it is not a delusion. There, you see, I can read your thoughts. And in this section, we like to ask, what would you do here? Would you follow the same path as Samir, or would you keep going? I would massacre every motherfucker in my way to get laughs. I literally put the same thing. I, I put, like, destroy all those Whoa, fuckers. dude, dude. <laughs> I, I didn't actually mean that. I was telling it. I was just putting it out there to see which one of you are the which one oh, of you well, guys well, are I the, guess it's are the me. Sick, oh, <laughs> you, are, you are the Fremont. sick fuck in the room. I am. They don't call you me are that J- for nothing. J.C. Okay? Wheeler. I'm just saying, in the fleshy, especially the scene where he's going through his Facebook and he's like, oh, yeah, this fucker who like got away with rape or got away with drunk driving. It's like we know growing up and becoming an adult means seeing all those people that you grow up with make bad decisions or horrible decisions in some of the cases. And the whole time I was just like, yeah, I'd do that. I'd probably do that. (laughs) So you know what that says about me as a person. Well, uh, I, I know exactly what it is. <laughs> we don't have to get into that because right now I'm staying on your couch and I don't want kicked out for the night. But I will say, I mean, I'll say this. Uh, I say like I wouldn't do anything Samir did, but I'm also, I mean, the point is I've never been put in that situation. I mean, I don't necessarily want to be a comedian, but like I write fiction and I've published fiction. And if someone comes to me and says, hey, you know, use this magic pen, you know, and you're going to write the great American novel. And become famous, you know, and be the next Tom Wolf and wear a white suit on late night. Uh, do I say yes to that? I mean, I, I like to think I'd do the right thing, and I believe I would, but Samir thought he would do the right thing, too, when he's crying over Devin. And then we see where he goes next. So, uh, nah, I wouldn't kill people. <laughs> I take all it back. I'm, I'm a good guy. Once I realized I had killed my nephew or taken him out of, <laughs> out of existence, I would go home talk to my girlfriend for a hundred hours telling her how you know this horrible thing happened until she thinks I'm crazy I have a mental breakdown and then we see me on a plane a few weeks later 
thinking there's something on the wing. <laughs> <laughs> so you'd still get stuck in the Twilight Zone. Definitely. Um, but yeah, but I least, wouldn't kill people. At least this, this side of the fifth dimension. I, I like that we have, we're taking a stand for not just wiping out people and instead like dealing with our shit, whatever, wherever it leads us to. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, that's healthy. <laughs> I'm. I, I think I'm more of the camp of uh, uh, Sammy. I'd probably do the mm. same thing. I've, there's just been too many shitty people in the world and that I've encountered that I, if I had this power, I would make sure I was very delicate about it and use it sparingly. You don't have to go on a comedy set every night. You know, go go every once in a while. That's uh, well, all you need to do. So you think you could use it sparingly? I think you could. But Mike, we're all shitty, though. Yeah. Where do you draw the line? Because that's oh, the human exactly. condition: is I, we all make bad choices, I, no I would, matter what. I would just do the Dexter thing. No, you know? the human condition is we're all we're all imperfect, so we don't let people like you decide things like that. Because <laughs> we could all come under the the axe. It would be my dark passenger, and I would just be like, I need to I need to go back up on the stage. Deb. Deb. <laughs> Deb. What should I have done? Dad used to tell me that I shouldn't have gone up on God. the stage. No, we, right, we don't need to go that. Let's, let's, I love, let's, I love Dexter. While we're here, let's retcon the first episode and talk about that great movie starring Robert De Niro oh, yeah, and Wesley Snipes, the fan. Uh, well, we don't need to go down that road, but the one thing we do need to do is give our overall thoughts. Now, we have done all we could do. If we've been successful, well and good, there are no problems. But if, on the other hand, this final treatment has not achieved the desired result. Please remember, Miss Tyler, that you can still live a long and fruitful life among people of your own kind. All right, Miss Tyler. Here comes the last of it. All right, we're going to doors it. I wish How many doors? How many doors? We're going to start with you, Sammy. <laughs> I liked this episode, oh. but I didn't like it as much as I like Nightmare at 30,000 Feet. And I gave that three doors. So I feel like I have to give this one like a two and a half door. And like that sucks because it seems so low for how much I actually enjoyed it. But I can't give it a four. And I can't give it higher than the last episode. So I'm going to stick with two and a half because I wasn't as enthralled in the story as I was with the other episode, the first episode. But I still really enjoyed it. And I found the acting to be superb. I thought the the film, like the filming of it was beautiful. I loved that it was almost predominantly at night. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved like the look of the comedy club. I think it was different. It was a new story. So that was nice to see. So I still really enjoyed it, but I'm still sticking with two and a half doors. Eleanor. I'm going to go with three doors and a cat flap. Oh, <laughs> I like that. Why? Um, oh, yeah, <laughs> that. Um uh, actually, for all the same reasons that Sammy just said, but in reverse. Like I, I liked this one better. But you know, I'm, I'm hoping to be even more wowed. But I did think it was really good. I, th- I thought that it was fun to watch. There were a couple moments where I thought that Samir was you, Mike. So, yeah. so it was very familiar, uh, <laughs> and that <laughs> amused me. So, thanks. Oh, how about that, uh, Matt? Stuck between three doors and. Two doors with one ajar. Uh, <laughs> if I have to pick, I'd say three doors. I thought the the casting, the performances were great. I appreciate that it's a it's a, you know a timeless sort of story. But again, they found a new way, and I hope this is what Jordan Peele continues to do. Sort of finds little twists on it mm-hmm. and explores it in a different way. I mean, I could have. I thought going into this, I was going to tell you all the plot the plot points, all the twists, because I've seen it a million times. Again, we talked about all the. The illusions, literary and otherwise, um, but no, it 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 um, examines some different things, which I, I appreciate. Again, what can you add? You know, what can you? While well, you're standing on the shoulders of giants, what can you add to these old stories? What makes us keep coming back for them? And I think we see some of that here. And I will say this: after the first two episodes, I mean, and I'm not the aesthetic person here, usually the visual one, but I think it's absolutely gorgeous the way it's been shot, mm-hmm. um, with the camera angles, with the lighting. And I, I, I really can't wait till they start doing some really creative stuff like we saw in the original with it. Um, I have a feeling there's going to be an episode pretty soon where we see that all sort of um, on full display and it's going to be remarkable. So what did I say? Three? You said three. Three doors and um, very enthusiastic start to this season. Well, I'm going to take that enthusiasm because I'm going four. 
Whoa. I was, I was, wow. I was, I, I was wow. this is the first episode I saw because we watched, for some reason this was, you know, number one on the screeners, but I was blown away by this episode. This really made me realize just how, how much potential this series has. And one of the things that I really can champion in my review is the, the diversity. I mean, granted for all, for all the, the triumphs that Sterling had in that area um, that he could have in that area in the, in the fifties and sixties, this show is just such a leap forward and just showing like what, like the true America you know, I mean, just like the, the there's just so much diversity in this episode. And it made me realize that there are so many different stories and perspectives that we're going to actually have in this series going forward, which makes me realize that not, no pun intended, there's going to be a, a, many doors to unlock uh, <laughs> going forward down here. And so in that respect, it just it felt like this new hip modern spin on one of my favorite shows of all time. And also just writing wise, I just thought, I thought thematically this is really sound. I thought this was really rich. I thought the characters and the the nuances that they gave to their actions were really there. I thought they, they used the runtime in, in just a perfect measure. I loved Camille Nanjani's performance. I, I thought that his tragedy was felt in ways that a lot of leads, even in some of the more iconic episodes, couldn't be felt because you don't spend that much time with them. So for me, it was just, it was really impacting. I thought Amara Karan was phenomenal again, once as usual. And, you know, like Sammy mentioned, she was great in the night of. To see her here and just that one performance like you had mentioned Matt, like when they're in the diner, it's just so good. And there's just such a gripping reality of like the consequences that happen with in the twilight zone. And just also that first time you see Jordan Peele just sitting there and it pans over into the dining room and he's just sitting there. It's just fucking great. And I, this, which why I'm kind of confounded like that. They didn't actually go with this as the first episode, but I understand why either way, four doors from me. So that brings thought, us to three point one nine doors. I think so. Yeah, three point one nine. Mm-hmm. Not too bad. Not too bad. Well, I think that's it. I think that brings us uh, to the end of this episode. Next week we'll be back with a third episode, Rewind, in which a woman believes she's experiencing the same moments over and over again. Ah, that sounds spooky, and it sounds like something that would be in the Twilight Zone. For now, please, please, if you haven't already, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, search for The Fifth Dimension. Not the, just Fifth Dimension. And uh, you'll get some fresh content from us. And uh, maybe we'll even do some sort of uh, Instagram live, something, you know, something cool and trippy. Who knows? Until next time, keep your eyes on the stars and your feet on the ground. And we'll be waiting here in the fifth dimension. Consequence Podcast Network.